It is becoming more and more clear that Yoshinobu Yamamoto is the New York Mets' top free agent target this offseason, partially because they don't believe they can realistically get in the mix on Otani. We're going to break it all down on today's show. You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On the show today, we're going to discuss how Yoshinobu Yamamoto has become the Mets' top free agent target in the first segment. We'll get into some reporting about how Otani is unlikely to come to the Mets. Uh, which will also tie into why Yamamoto would be their top target. Then the second segment, I want to dive into the arsenal of Yamamoto, what he would bring to the table. Then in the final segment, uh, another note, probably the final note we'll ever have on Craig Council and how he never intended to come to the New York Mets. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Ficklestein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on X, Ficklestein Ryan. Also find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50-plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Bob Nightingale did some uh, reporting, but it was more of a notebook. He, he wrote a, an article for USA Today. And, and if you're not aware, Bob Nightingale is an MLB insider. He's a reporter. Uh, and... It was basically just a list of all these things he was hearing at the GM meetings, which is always a really interesting read because it's not necessarily concrete reporting. It's not, oh, this is exactly what the team is is thinking, but it's someone that's in these rooms that's hearing the conversations that can tell you what the rumblings are. And so in this you know, long, large notebook of different, items that are brought up. One of the things that Bob Nightingale mentions that the New York Mets have their eyes on Japanese ace Yoshinobu Yamamoto, believing they have no realistic chance to land Otani. He also had mentioned that Otani, uh, if he doesn't sign with the Dodgers or the Angels, some executives predict that he'll end up with the Cubs or the Rangers, while the San Francisco Giants will offer the most money. So starting with the Otani discussion here, there is a sense that's been out there that maybe Otani would want to stay on the West Coast. And if he does, the Dodgers are going to give him a crazy offer. The Angels are going to give him a crazy offer. The Giants might give him the craziest offer. And any of those opportunities could be good fits for him. So he could really stay you know, put or you know, close to where he's at now and get paid the contract that he obviously deserves without having to put himself in an uncomfortable position to play in a market that he might not want to in New York city for a long, long time. um, Just because it's the best deal. He's going to get a lot of really good offers. And one thing I think that we have to understand about the position the Mets are, are 
in as the team with the deepest pocketbooks is that can be used against you. We're actually going to get to that in the final segment here. Also from this notebook, but something on Craig Council using the Mets for leverage. But that that is always on the table. The Mets being in the mix because you know these agents want to keep them in the mix to drive up the price. If the Mets have had preliminary conversations with Otani's camp, or even you know more notably haven't, while other teams have, they may already see the writing on the wall that he does not want to come to them. But even beyond that, I have spoken about this many times on the show over the last month and change here that I don't necessarily think Otani is the perfect fit. While you can't deny the talent, he'd be an unbelievable ad. The Mets aren't a Shohei Otani away from a World Series right now. And I really think if you think about the goals of this organization moving forward, it's not the right way to spend the exorbitant amount of resources you're going to have to to get this guy. Because I have said it before, I think that this is a season where you're not going to be able to solve everything through free agency. So for the Mets to get where they would potentially want to go and to be a real contender this year, it's going to take some internal growth. And they have to, over the next two seasons, really know what they have. Because I think there might be a point in time over the next five years where they will reset under that cap line, where they're going to reset their tax penalties and pull back a little bit on spending. That's not this year. They're, they're way over. But you have to be really careful where you're spending your money because you don't want to, say, sign Shohei Otani, then Mark Vientos or Ronnie Maurice or somebody shows themselves to be the type of a bat that could be your DH on the cheap. You want to leave just a, a, a pretty open avenue for the Jet Williams, Luis and Helicuna, Drew Gilbert, th- those prospects who could be up in the next two years. You, you just want to know what you have. So to me, the idea that Yoshinobu Yamamoto is the Mets' top free agent target because they have no realistic chance to land Otani, part of that is, yes, go after the guy that you know might be interested in coming to you, of course, but it's also the guy that fits your roster needs way better. This is a team that needs to address their starting rotation if they're going to compete this year. But also moving forward, there is not a clear frontline starter for the Mets for the next five years. They have Senga, but Senga has an opt-out after year three that he could you know, very conceivably exercise. So to get that in a 25-year-old ace, I think that's really what's going on here is the Mets – are looking at the market, they're looking at their team, the needs that they have, how they can you know, build a team that could compete in 2024, and if everything breaks right, they could be contenders that swing for the fences at the deadline potentially. But also with that clear understanding that 2025, 2026, 2027 is going to be a better window to contend in and making sure that you – really keep a lot of your possibilities open for that time. And so getting the the starter that's going to headline your rotation, that's worth every penny. Paying for the two-way superstar at who knows how much money for who knows how many years and being just a Shohei Otani team, 
it, it it it's potentially a futile attempt to even get into that market, and it just might not be the me- the best allocation of resources anyway. So what I want to do in the next segment is go through Yoshinobu Yamamoto's arsenal a little bit more because there's a, a lot of information that I now uh, can pull from here um, that can give you an even clearer picture as to why this guy is such an important free agent target for the Mets. Before we get to that, though, today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world today. It's always important to be prepared. Supply chain shortages for medications or an inability to get medications in a timely manner due to natural disaster or if you're traveling, this can all leave you unprepared. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. That's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case, providing five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. Jace handles everything from online evaluation to licensed pharmacy medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. You can now customize your Jace case with dozens of add-on medications and can even add additional life-saving medications based on your unique needs. Personally, my wife and I, we travel a lot. So whenever we go out of town, it's always nice to know that we have our Jace case with us just in case anything unexpected pops up. We have that safety blanket. If you want to get one today, go to jacemedical.com and enter the code locked on at checkout for a $20 discount on your order. That's promo code locked on at Jace Medical, J A S E Medical.com. Do you want to become a Locked On Mets insider? We are now offering a texting service where you can communicate with me one-on-one, ask me whatever questions you want about the Mets. If you have a question after a show, I say some take that you think is ridiculous and you want to send me a reply, you can do all of that through subtext. All you have to do is find the link in the episode description or go to subtext.com slash Locked On Mets. Now, I have for a while been all in on the idea of Yoshinobu Yamamoto because he's 25 years old and his stats in the uh, Nippon Professional Baseball League are just absolutely patently absurd. The dude has a sub-2 ERA in his career in over 1,000. Well, not quite 1,000 innings pitch, but close to it. He's won three of their equivalent uh, of the Cy Young Awards. He's won a couple of MVPs. The guy is an unbelievable pitcher, but luckily I have a, a buddy of mine, Arm Layton, who is co-founder at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor, and he has access to some databases where he can actually pull information on Yoshinobu Yamamoto. So he wrote an amazing article for us at JustBaseball.com, and he also put a, a video up on YouTube about it as well, really breaking down how good this guy is. And when you watch the video on Yoshinobu Yamamoto, what strikes me is just how much arm talent this guy has because it's not a max effort delivery. It is very minimal effort. It's almost shocking how the ball can explode out of his hands from his height, from his unique arm angle that he takes. By It's almost like a wind-up that has a slide step to it. It's so peculiar to watch this dude pitch because it's just, you see him start the windup and then it's just boom, it's 
It's right on the hitter. It, it, it's not this windup that leads to a big leg kick. It's just steps back and then just explodes forward. And, and you just see it, it, you know, even when he was pitching out of the stretch too, it's just so low effort and, and so much just based on arm talent. It's remarkable. And he's just, he's elite. He is an elite pitcher with a mix that should absolutely translate. He, he's not going to blow batters away with the fastball, but you know, as our, I'm going to pull this exactly from what Arm writes about in the article, he says qualities like release height, induced vertical break, vertical attack angle, extension, and of course velocity can all play key parts in deviating from the status quo. A big reason why Yamamoto should be able to make a smooth transition to the big leagues is that his fastball is easily a plus pitch. It sits near the mid-90s, occasionally touching the upper 90s, but it's the release height and shape that makes it so dominant. He goes on to talk about the release height of around five and a half feet and how most fastballs in baseball come from a higher angle because guys are taller pitchers. Maybe they throw more over the top. This low release point is what creates this induced vertical break. Essentially, this allows uh, Yoshinobu Yamamoto to work very effective up in the zone. It's almost that rising fastball, right, that, that you, you hear about. And it's really tough for hitters to try to get on top of that pitch. They're constantly going to be swinging under it. And, and so he's able to really work that pitch to either get strikeouts, to get early strikes in, in the beginning count where he can just attack the zone. And that's the difference between Yamamoto and Kodai Senga. Kodai Senga will walk the world at times. And then he'll also pitch himself out of those jams because he has a devastating pitch in his ghost fork. And, you know, he really found something last year by going ghost fork, cutter, splitter, and, and or excuse me, I'd say ghost fork and splitter. I'm looking at Yamamoto's splitter in this article. Said, said that twice. For Sanga last year, it was fastball cutter, ghost fork. And that really became the, the mix that worked for him. He was able to find a way to start to attack the zone a little bit more, pitch to contact a little bit more so the walks weren't hurting him as much as they were earlier in the season. And then the strikeout numbers were so good that he was able to get out of a lot of jams. Yamamoto is a pitcher that is going to be able to avoid walking as many batters and can potentially pitch deeper into games with his ability to pitch to contact. And I think the the biggest difference between these two guys is that splitter or fork, however you want to describe the pitch. For Senga, yes, it disappears. It's amazing. Guys are going to swing through it like crazy. But Yamamoto, he lands the pitch for a strike. This was the biggest thing that I took away, I think, from this article that Arm wrote. The fact that he filled up the zone with that splitter as arm rise here, landing it for a strike more than 70% of the time. And he's willing to throw it in any count. Now we saw the same thing from Sanga this past year, where in the beginning of the season, it seemed like he was only going to his ghost fork when he got into a two strike count. And it was once he started to throw it earlier in counts to throw it for a strike, to keep batters off balance. That's when everything sort of opened up for him. Yamamoto has the ability to do that, and they're going to swing through it as well. They're going to chase the pitch when it's out of the zone. Opponents hit just 170 on his splitter. They chased it 50% of the time. There's a swinging strike rate of 24%. All this information, again, Arm pulled in his article. It really just shows you how effective the pitch is, especially because 
He's able to get ground balls with it. A ground ball rate of 76%. So you have the fastball, the splitter, a really good curveball that he's able to use as another strikeout pitch. He has the cutter similar to Sanga that he's able to use where he can get those strikes. He can pound the zone with the cutter. You can get guys to roll that pitch over early in counts. It's a really good offering to continue to avoid walking batters, putting guys on. It's it's something you can attack with, especially, you know, coming off, you know, pairing that with the fastball, just giving different movements on the, the hard offerings that he has before he mixes in all the off-speed stuff, all the breaking stuff. And then the fifth pitch is one that he didn't throw much, the sweeper. And what Arm has discussed about his sweeper is it actually is a really good pitch. We saw Sanga have a sweeper that he kind of, you know, ended up tossing aside, but it wasn't the same level of a pitch. It was a, a, a pitch that wasn't necessarily as good as some of the top sweepers in Major League Baseball. Yamamoto could have one that it could be a very effective offering for him. And the difference between playing in the MPB and the MLB, as Arm notes here, is you know there's a lot more right-handed batters in Major League Baseball. In the MPB, it's you know, a lot of lefties, and that sweeper is not going to be as effective. It's a good pitch to use against right-handed batters where it's going to you know, tail completely away from them. That's what you want to get those swinging strikes, get guys to look bad swinging outside of the zone. So you add that in there as well. It is a legit five-pitch mix from a guy that has a remarkably repeatable and simple motion, which would conceivably make him less of an injury risk. For a 25-year-old that even if you sign him to an eight-year deal, you're not even getting into his mid to late 30s. It's his early to mid 30s, even if it's a nine-year deal. So Yoshinobu Yamamoto makes so much sense for the Mets because in my eyes, he's pretty clearly the top starting pitcher available in free agency. And that age component just makes him so attractive to a team like the Mets that Obviously wants to win next season, but sees a longer window coming in the future. He would fit that longer window, which makes you know the whatever the salary investment is, whether it's it's gonna clear 25 million, it might push up against 30 million dollars per season. If he gets to 30, while it seems like a lot, you are just paying other aces 43 million dollars a season. And this is a guy that you could build around. And I, I don't think it's Crazy to say that the ceiling of Yamamoto is comparable to the ceiling of Scherzer and Verlander on a given year. That's how good that's how good this guy could be. And he's worth every penny to try to land him here and have him be one of the key pieces of your future. I think it's a slam dunk. And all the reporting that says that the Mets are all over him, they're really interested. He's their guy. I, I think it makes just too much sense, and that that's why, um, you know, they're going to be out there for him. They're they're going to be the favorites going into it. I think they're going to be a team that is going to submit a very aggressive offer, and hopefully that offer is able to land them. And and you know, I did a, a previous podcast you guys can find about Kodai Sanga and how he factors into the mix. I really do think that does give the Mets. An addiction, additional edge um, to have him in your corner when it comes to negotiating. But that's enough on Yamamoto for now. We'll 
continue to talk about him uh, as the offseason develops here and we have more time on all this. Um, But what I want to do to close the show is get right back to Bob Nightingale's reporting from the GM meetings, talk about how Craig Council never had any intention of signing with the Mets. We get to that next first owner of the word from our sponsors. Let's now get to our last little news item from the weekend that was pretty interesting, and that was the fact that Craig Council never intended to take the Mets job, which isn't surprising. That's what we've assumed. Uh, But Bob Nightingale put it pretty flatly where he's like, yeah, he'd rather step away for a year than go a 1,000 miles from home to manage the Mets. That was always the thing for him. It was always that stay home, which is okay. You could have just accepted the Brewers' contract and stayed home. Now your hometown kind of hates you, it seems like because you went to the Cubs, but it was always those two things. It was getting paid and staying home. And I guess the thought was, Hey, use the Mets as leverage. And hopefully the Brewers meet your asking price. And then the Cubs come into the mix and it's the best of both worlds. You get a team with more resources. That's going to sign you to that top, top dollar um, contract. And, you know, you don't have to worry about going and deal with the pressure of managing the Mets and going all the way across the country. But again, I come back to the fact that this is a blessing in disguise for the Mets, that they didn't get so carried away in this, that they gave him an offer he couldn't refuse. That was just so head and shoulders above the market um, where he ended up taking the position. I mean, look, at the Cubs don't come into the fray, as much as he can say now or Bob Nightingale could um, ascertain now that, oh, he never would have done it. If the offer was you know, four years, $20 million from the Brewers, and the Mets were offering double that like the Cubs ended up doing, you never know what would have happened. And in that scenario, if the guy is miserable away from home and he just took it for the money, it was would have been such a bad precedent to set. He could be a great manager, but that is so much weighing on him. Um, that level of expectation that that is put on someone like him. I mean, look, Buck Showalter, you know, dealt with it to a certain extent, right? Buck came in, oh, a great manager, all these resources. The Mets should be awesome. And they were the first year. And then this year, we were all saying fire the guy. And he did get fired. So, you know, that that pressure is going to be there no matter who the manager is. But when you throw in a contract that everyone's going to know the dollar amount on, that pressure would have been ratcheted up even further. And if you have a guy that's not living where he wants to, that's not, um, or that didn't take the job for the right reason, that didn't take the job because he saw it as the best place to contend, just took it for a paycheck. Yeah, it, it wouldn't have worked. So instead, you get a guy in Carlos Mendoza that is getting his first crack. He's getting a chance to prove himself as a manager. That means more than anything. That's going to keep him focused. That's going to keep him in line. And a guy that wanted this opportunity that probably could be managing somewhere else if he wanted to. But he wanted to stay in New York. He saw the Mets as a team that was probably um, just an amazing fit in the sense that you know that if you believe in yourself as a manager, you know you're going to get some pretty talented players in New York. There's a lot of talented players already on the roster. And he also gets to stay where he was as the bench coach living in New York City. He gets to continue that um, you know, with the Mets. So they, they ended up with a red hire, but it does make you like Council less when you get the report that he never would have actually come to the Mets. He'd rather take a year off. Seems a little bit drastic. Um, 
I don't know, maybe the history of the Mets recently. I shouldn't be surprised um, by that information. Regardless, that's going to be all for today's show. Seems like, speaking of managers, Carlos Mendoza may be finally announced on Monday and could meet with the media on Tuesday. So that'll probably be a show this week, maybe on Wednesday for tomorrow's show, unless there's some big news item, unless they push Mendoza in front of the media earlier than expected. I'm going to give my open plea to Steve Cohen to continue to spend aggressively this offseason. Until then, make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Follow me on X at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show, Locked on Mets.